Thank you, Brother Paul. Thank you, Church. We continue in our Advent series this morning by taking a, a different look at the birth of Christ. I, uh, I had like 13 titles for this sermon uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 50, really the, the first half of Mary's song called The Magnificat. Uh, there on the screen you see, My Soul Exhausts the Lord, uh, taken from the first line in verse 46. I, I've also tinkered with this, this title, Mary's Praise for a Personal Savior. And then something this simple, Jesus, the cause for rejoicing. Whatever title you pick, it doesn't matter. We're going to dive into the heart of this text this morning, and I'm super excited about that. I do want to say several of you commented that you had hoped that I had been preaching last week so that I would have to acknowledge UVA's victory. Uh, it's a week late, but well done. Congratulations. Uh, you earned it. Uh, last week, Ethan did a great job of reminding us that the birth of Jesus is the birth of God the Son. The eternal word, Emmanuel, God coming down to us on a rescue mission from heaven to be born on earth as a man and rescue sinful sons and daughters of men. And that's a reason to rejoice. And now that, now that we've seen last week heaven's perspective on the sending of God the Son, this morning we get to look from the other perspective, from the, from the earth's perspective, from Mary's perspective, on the privilege of carrying the creator of the world within her virgin womb. I mean, can you think about that? The one who called light out of darkness condescended to earth to go into Mary, into, if you will, utter darkness. So you've got the light of the world contained in the darkness of Mary's womb. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to join me in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 50, as we get an inside look at how Mary was processing what God had set in motion by choosing her to bear His Son. The word magnify or exalt in verse 46 is the word from which we get magnificat. It's the Latin translation of that word. And this series of verses from 46 all the way down to 55 has been read and recited by Christians down through the centuries because it beautifully summarizes two things. And we're going to cover the, the first of those things this morning. The personal impact of the coming of Jesus and also the global significance of the birth of Christ, which, which is really verse 51 and following. So hear now the word of God. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name, and His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask, God, that we would be counted among those who fear You. God, that our, our reverence for You and our awe of You would be built upon the promises that we find in Scripture and the knowledge that they've been fulfilled in Christ. 
And God, that our hearts would sing and that they would soar, that they would exalt not in ourselves, but in the Lord because of the great things you've done for us in Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we arrive at Mary's song, the angel Gabriel has already visited Mary. Gabriel's already told her the overwhelming news that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and cause the miraculous conception of Jesus within her. She's already heard that Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah King who would sit on David's throne in a kingdom that would never end. And when she visits Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit then fills Elizabeth right before these verses. And Elizabeth confirms God's plan yet again. In fact, she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. In a very real way, she bears God into the world by bearing Jesus to the world. The Lord was coming to give us what we need most. God. His name is Emmanuel. We we didn't need just another good friendship. We didn't need a good family. We didn't need a good career. We didn't need any of those things any more than even close to our need for the presence of God himself. And so God came down at Christmas. He saw to it personally that the sin which separated us from a holy father could no longer make us slaves and strangers to the presence of God. While none of us is Mary, we are all invited by God, in a sense, to be those who bring his son to the world. Have you ever thought about that? Mary's unique, right? There's only one mother of Jesus in the history of the world, and yet all of you who have been rescued by grace through faith in Christ have been charged with the task of bearing Jesus to the world. You don't just get Jesus to sit there and say, well, I've got my salvation and I've got my friends and I hang out at church on Sunday and it's good. You get Jesus to give him away. And Mary got Jesus to bring him into the world so that he could be given to sinners. And so there is a parallel between our lives and the lives of Mary. There's a parallel between Mary's rejoicing and the rejoicing which should characterize our lives. The story of Christmas is not like a, you know, you go to an art museum and you see all these beautiful paintings, and you're like, wow, that's nice, that's, that's over there, that's outside of me, and there's a sense of which I take it in, and I think about it for a moment, but then as soon as I move on to the next one, it's gone. That's not Christmas. Christmas is not some piece of literature that's just out there that I consider in December and then throw away in January. It's the, it's the essential piece of the gospel that God had to come down and rescue sinners. And he did this so that the story could overtake us and become a part of us. And we get to join in the story of what God is doing by bearing his son to the world. Are y'all, are y'all tracking this morning? Okay. All right. So, so there's three things I want you to see in this text. When God saves us and makes us a part of his plan, like Mary... To bring Jesus to the world, there's three things that that we should see in these verses. First, we will personally praise God for his personal salvation. Secondly, we will give God the glory for his saving work and the blessings of being included in his plan. And finally, we will join the generations of those who know God's mercy and fear the Lord. First, we will personally praise God for his personal salvation. In verse 46 and 47, we read, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. These are two 
closely related statements in the in the Bible, you would say that they are parallel to one another. They're saying essentially the same thing. In verse 46, she exalts and will keep on exalting my Lord. Do you see that there? Exalt means to magnify something, to increase something, or to make something great. Now you might say, well, how do I make God any greater than he already is? You, you can't. You can't make God any greater than he is, but you can Commit your life to celebrating and declaring and showcasing the greatness of God and the goodness of God that has come toward us in Christ. Does anybody have one of these guys? You got some photos of your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids on there? You ever, you ever snapped a photo of them doing something and, you know, maybe they were hitting the baseball and you wanted to get the close-up on it, so you'd grab two fingers, Right? And you zoomed in on that thing. I want you to see this moment of contact. Isn't it great? Look at what Samuel did. This is amazing. Now, the baseball in that picture is not actually any larger than the baseball was. But your ability to see the greatness of the hit and the contact that was made is magnified by you zooming in on it. You tracking with me? The other day, Stacy pulled out an atlas at our house. Do y'all know what an atlas is? Do they still make those? She pulled out an atlas and she was trying to she was she was trying to show our kids greater detail on the atlas. She was trying to take them deeper into the Middle East to make a point, and she took her fingers and went like that. I said, "Honey, it, it doesn't work. That's paper." You know, whether it's on your iPhone or your Android or whatever you've got, at some point, that image won't let you zoom in anymore. You reach max capacity. But did you know that you never run out of room for zooming in on the greatness of God? You just keep peeling back layer after layer after layer I can't believe what God did for me here. I can't believe what he rescued me from here. I see my sinfulness over here. I can't believe that God sent his son to die for that. And Mary says in verse 46, The rest of my life, because Christ has come, is committed to the work of magnifying my Savior. In verse 47, she says she has rejoiced, meaning she has begun to rejoice. To rejoice and she will keep on rejoicing. Rejoice means to be full of joy or even to jump for joy. Now, I suspect when Mary was 40 weeks pregnant riding a donkey into Bethlehem that she wasn't jumping for joy. But her spirit was jumping for joy. While she wasn't literally jumping for joy, her spirit was soaring and it would keep on soaring because the coming of Christ changes things. In verse 46, her soul exalts. In verse 47, her spirit rejoices. The words soul and spirit are used synonymously to say that Mary's praise comes from deep within and it overtakes all of who she is. Has Jesus done that in your life? Notice Mary does not praise God for allowing her to be a mother, but because she knows God as my Savior. Mary's not magnifying her qualifications for motherhood. She's magnifying the Lord God who has come down to save her. Look at verse, verse 47. God is her Savior. 
God, my Savior. Which means Mary needed to be rescued. If the Son of God had not come down to save, then we all, including Mary, would be lost. When God saves you, He changes you on the inside. We don't become the mother of God, but we do become radically, fundamentally different. More different than even going from not being a mother to being a mother. Think about some of the biblical words for transformation. God's transformation of sinners into saints. We are, Jesus says, born again. Paul says we are a new creation. Paul says again in Titus that it's the work of regeneration through the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus is conceived in the Virgin Mary, she knows that things will never, ever be the same. You see verse 48? From now on. From now on. Things are different. From now on, generations will call her blessed. When God saves you, the transformation sticks. Bach says it this way. Once Mary is touched by the gracious act of God, things are different. They are never the same. Mary knows God's saving promises are being fulfilled and she's forever changed. So she offers personal praise my soul, my spirit, to my God. She offers personal praise to a personal God who has powerfully saved her by coming on a rescue mission in the person of his son. We don't know whether Mary wrote this song down or she just memorized it on the spot, but we know that she remembered it well enough to tell Luke after Jesus' resurrection what the song said. So I suspect that Mary had this song memorized. I suspect that when Herod came and threatened her son and king, threatened to kill him by killing every male child born under two years old, and they escaped to Egypt, I expect on the way to Egypt, even when it didn't seem like things were going to work out, that she would have sung, My soul exalts the Lord. When she couldn't find her son on the way home from the temple, and she wondered what in the world was going on. I suspect she sang, My spirit has begun to rejoice in God my Savior. What's going on in your life right now that threatens to undermine the joy that you find only in magnifying the Lord? What circumstances are taking your focus off the one who satisfies our soul's desire to magnify something infinitely greater than itself, and that is only the Lord God Almighty? Today, why not discover the joy of magnifying the Lord who sent His only begotten Son at Christmas to save? The coming of God in the person of Jesus demands a personal Response. Jesus makes it impossible for us to say with any credibility that God does not care, that God does not see my pain or feel my plight. Jesus became a man to bear your sin, to bear your suffering, and to do so personally. And the only acceptable response to God coming on a rescue mission for you in Christ is to turn from your sin, trust in Jesus as your substitute, and magnify the Lord for the gift of His Secondly, we see in verses 48 and 49 that we give God the glory for His powerful saving work and the blessing of being included in His plan. We give God the glory. In verse 49, we have a 
a verse that's become a part of the reason that some people make more of Mary than they, ma- than they make of Jesus. Which is an unfortunate and oftentimes eternally catastrophic error. We do not worship Mary. We count her blessed. To be sure, Mary is very important in God's plan. She is the only woman who will ever be the mother of God. And all generations, people from every generation who are saved by faith in Jesus will acknowledge that Mary was blessed to bring God's Son into the world. What a blessing that was. How amazing is it that that God chose her in His wisdom. But why was Mary blessed or made happy? Was she blessed because she deserved to be Jesus' mother? No. Was she blessed because she remained a virgin for the rest of her life? No. Jesus' brother James would have a quibble with that. Was she blessed because she's an example of how being good is good enough to get in on God's good side? No, you can't be good enough to deserve anything from God. Mary was not blessed or happy because of something she did or deserved or demanded, but because of what God mercifully did in her and for her. Verse 49 does not say that all generations will call Mary deserving. It doesn't say that all generations will worship Mary or pray to Mary. It says that all generations will acknowledge that Mary was gladdened by God when he chose her for a special assignment that she did not deserve. Mary was among the first to know in a very personal way the blessedness of having that the blessedness of having God's promises was giving away to the blessedness of having God's provision and it was all happening in her. Can you imagine being a, a Jewish girl under Roman rule wondering when the Messiah was going to come, wondering when God was finally going to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament, wondering when God would speak again and then suddenly Gabriel shows up? And he says, it's happening in you. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has begun to magnify God, my Savior, concealed with what seemed to be an ordinary pregnancy. Yes, she wasn't married, but it's a routine pregnancy other than that. And concealed within the ordinary pregnancy God is doing an extraordinary thing, fulfilling His promise and providing His salvation by giving His Son. What what ordinary things are you doing that God wants to use to bring the extraordinary gift of His Son to the world? You don't need Gabriel to show up in your life for God to use you. If you've been changed by the same Holy Spirit of God that conceived Jesus within the womb of Jesus, that's all the extraordinary you need. It's it's time to realize that God uses the ordinary of our lives to do extraordinary things. He used a routine pregnancy to bring Jesus to the world. Say, well, I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor to change the world. You can be a plumber, a politician, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, as Luther said. If you have known the joy of being rescued by God, you have been gladdened by God. He wants to use the ordinary of your life to do extraordinary things in others' lives by giving them Jesus. 
Stop waiting for an extraordinary moment. And get busy letting God do, do His work in the everyday of your life. Bach says it this way, Mary is able to praise God, her Savior, because He looked on her low social estate, and yet in love He let her bear the Messiah. Mary's happiness doesn't come because there's something about Mary, but because she understands there's salvation through Jesus. The Son who came down to lift her up out of her helpless estate and to enlist her in the saving purposes of God is the one she praises. And verses 48 and 49 prove this. Do you see what Mary says of herself in verse 48? She calls herself humble. She's not referring to her character. She's not saying, I'm, I'm just an amazingly humble person. She's talking about her status in life. That she's poor, that she's neglected, that she's overlooked, that she has no chance or hope in life apart from what God does. She is one of low status. God satisfies this. Listen to this, church. God satisfies the spiritually desperate, not the spiritually self-reliant, with the blessings of His presence. Are you hungry for the presence of God in your life? Do you want to you know the fullness of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit of God taking charge and command in whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're facing, whether it's cancer or sickness or a frustrating day at work or maybe a frustrating month at work or maybe a child that's obstinate and driving you crazy, God Himself gives you Himself through Christ so that you can know His presence. And sometimes in those situations, you just have to stop trying to take control of it yourself and manage it yourself and just say, God, I can't do it. If you just give me yourself and overwhelm me with the goodness of knowing you, I'll be okay. Because more than anything, more than having a tidy life and a great home and a great job, I want to know you. And those are the sorts of people that get to know the presence of God. The word humble is used in the Old Testament to describe women who are unable to conceive. It can mean affliction or poverty. Mary's song is very much like Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and read that song and then read the Magnificat, you'll see they're very similar songs of the celebration of what God has done for women who otherwise did not have children. Here's Mary's point. I was a nothing. I was a nobody. I was an outcast, a poor Jewish girl living under Roman rule with no hope, excuse me, with a hope that God would one day keep his promise, and now he has. The son who saves has come and he's rescued me. The reason that I'm blessed is because God has, has, has had regard for me. He's looked down on my humble estate and he's seen that I was powerless to rescue myself and he looked down and then he came down to make me his own. Did you know God still does that today? He does. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment, he doesn't have Jesus be reborn all over again. But he does a work in your heart to make you understand that apart from God, I am nothing. But God has come to rescue me and pull me out of my sin, pull me out of my slavery, pull me out of my shame and my suffering, and to make me his own. Mary's praise is not some backhanded way of calling attention to herself. All of her focus is on God and what God has done 
And I want to speak to you, church, for just a moment about this. The hallmark of a testimony of someone who's truly been changed by Jesus is that they want all the attention to go to Jesus. They want God to get the glory. What a saved person wants other people to understand is that she did not and could not deserve what God has done, but God did it anyway. I don't understand it, I can't explain it, but God rescued me, and you got to know about this great God. By sending Jesus, Mary understands the Mighty One has done great things for her, verse 49. In the Old Testament, when God is described as mighty or powerful or capable, the author is often speaking about God's power to deliver His people from their enemies. Jesus is the one of whom the prophet Zephaniah writes when he says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you know there's coming a day when the Messiah returns for those who trust in him that he'll sing over you? You think Paul was good this morning? You were, Paul. But I can't wait to hear Jesus sing over me as a trophy of his redemption. Mary is singing a song about one who would one day come and sing over her. Jesus is the king to whom all other kings must bow. When Jesus returns, political oppression of believers will end forever. Jesus is the sinless son who died for sin and was raised from the dead so that your enemies of death and sin and hell and the grave can no longer keep you from living a life in the presence of God today for his glory. When you trust in Jesus for life and salvation, you're no longer a slave to the fear of death, but a joy-filled slave of God. Do you see that? Mary calls herself God's bond slave. She doesn't ask to renegotiate the terms of her her salvation. She doesn't say, hey God, you know, since I'm offering my body as the vessel of your salvation, then why don't we renegotiate the terms? You know, I'm I'm contributing quite a bit to this little plan here, God, so why don't you uh, cut me a special deal? Why don't I get a special seat? She doesn't do any of that. She considers herself the slave of God. And when you really get rescued by Jesus, you don't You don't care about how high you get to go. You care about how low that you can go so that Jesus can be exalted. God, take me lower so that Jesus will be magnified even greater and the world will know of his saving power. God flexed his muscle by sending his son as a spotless embryo to take your place, to go to war against sin and death for you. And there is no reason that the response of our lives ought not to be, God, whatever you have for me is what I will do. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he came down to wage war against anything that would keep you from knowing the presence of God. He is the Mighty One who declared war against our enemies by sending his Son in power at the conception of Jesus to save us. And the reason that we needed God to send his son to powerfully save us is because God's name is holy. Do you see that in verse 49? God alone is holy. God alone is set apart as Lord of creation, maker of heaven and earth. And to get to know the holy God, God had to do it. 
God's name represents His power and His authority. And Mary gets it. Mary knows what's going on. Jesus is coming down in power so that she can know and encounter the one true God. The God over all the other pretending gods. The God who alone has the power to save, to make Mary His own. And praise God, verse 50 confirms that this song is not just about Mary. I love verse 50. Do you see it? And his mercy. The Old Testament word is kessed, loving kindness. His covenant faithfulness is not just upon Mary. It's upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. The privilege that we have, North Roanoke Baptist Church, of knowing Jesus is not just for us. It's for generations of people who need to know the Lord. Do you recall the words of Psalm 67? God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on the earth, Your salvation among all nations. God saves us by powerfully sending His Son as an act of, of his mercy not something we deserved but the way that God keeps his promises to have a people for himself in Jesus the sinless perfection and the obedience that God requires is freely offered on our behalf so that sinners in all generations can be rescued from their sin and from the death that comes by glorying in ourselves and delivered into the purifying fear of God. What does it mean to fear God? It means to acknowledge his unrivaled position and authority over our lives. We know that Mary fears God because she doesn't exalt herself, she exalts the Savior. There is joy in the fear of God. When we live lives that are anchored in God's word, which reveals our need for Jesus in the first place, We learn to fear Him all the more, to revere Him, to regard Him. The fear of God is what marks Christians off in generation after generation from the rest of the world. When God, whose name is holy, rescues you, He sets you apart as His own. What does that mean? Does that mean you just show up at church on Sunday? Check out the rest of the week, check back in on Sunday? No. Fearing God is a disposition that characterizes our whole life. When we're rescued by God, when we become God-fearers, it will impact how you think. It will impact what you say. It will impact what you spend. It will impact where you go. It will impact your habits, your attitude, your assumptions, your need to be noticed or recognized. It will produce an ongoing desire within your heart to magnify the Lord to whom all things owe their existence. Mary's song reminds us that the life of someone saved by God is a life lived for the glory and the praise of the God who does the saving. I want to say that again. The life of someone saved by God is a life lived for the glory and the praise of the God who does the saving. So this morning, I want to ask you, have you trusted 
in God's Son sent to save? Are you bearing him to a lost world who so desperately needs him? Does a desire to magnify the Lord flow from your soul? Is your song all about you or all about what God has done for you in Christ? Is your happiness found not in who you are or where you've been or what you've done, but in whose you are? Do you seek to honor God and let him use your life to get the gospel to others? These are the marks of Mary's salvation and they must be the marks of our salvation as well. Today, trust in Jesus, the Son of God slain for your sin, raised to life on the third day, returning forever to be with those who trust in Him. Let today be the day that praise begins. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You that because of the cross, and because of Christmas, that we can say with Mary, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. You have had regard for our humble estate. The Mighty One has done great things for us. And God, we praise you that generation after generation can know your mercy if they will fear God if they will stop serving themselves as their ultimate authority and instead fear God, repent of their sin, and run to Jesus for salvation. Lord, we ask if there's anyone today who does not have that confidence that they've been rescued from death and delivered to life through faith in Jesus, that today would be the day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.